Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. It is Sunday, August 9th, year of our Lord, 2020. Um, so this is going to be kind of a, an interesting podcast here. It's my first time flying solo. Um, unfortunately, uh, Josh Garrison is going to be unable to continue on in the podcast. Um, so I'm trying to find a way to get... Um, another regular person it's just easier to communicate when when you have two or three people or more um when you when you do it by yourself it's it's kind of difficult kind of awkward but um i'm gonna give it a try here i i don't have a guest host today so it's just gonna be me um going forward like i say i I hope to have somebody else uh brandon uh thompson has been with me on a few of these and, and hopefully i can get him to do it on a regular basis um I've also got the brothers that I, I fellowship with on Saturdays for a Bible study. Uh, perhaps I can get them to in on this, but um, I guess on occasion I'm I'm gonna be forced to do this by myself, and um, I'll give it my best shot. I, I I don't know how this is gonna go. I don't know how well it's gonna turn out, but um, we'll see. Uh, Lord willing, um, I, I've got a lot of other projects that I work on. I, I do several YouTube videos. Um, if you get a chance to subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's KingRam417. And um, I, I do several um, different video series throughout the week. Um, I also do some Facebook Live videos. Um, so just kind of a lot on the plate. Um, I'll, I'll try to get this in. I, I mean, I don't have a really busy schedule other than those videos. I'm a single man. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids at home. So... Um, I should have free time, but I I just don't know how well this is going to turn out, uh, talking to myself, trying to do this podcast, but we'll give it a shot. We'll, we'll see how this turns out. Um, so as I've explained before, the, the whole premise of this podcast, at least from my perspective, and I guess this is going to be kind of, kind of, um, my project going forward here. Um, so I I can kind of turn this into what I, I desire to be, but my initial thought was that I wanted to share uh, my weekly progress in the faith. Just, you know, as, as we're supposed to keep our minds fixed on heavenly things, uh, take captive our thoughts. And, and anybody out there who's born again knows that um, when, when, when you experience the Lord, when you, when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you've truly been born again, He is on your heart at all times. He is on your heart and in your mind. Um, even in the midst of your sin, um, you know, you're fighting against that flesh in the spirit. You have the, the, the Holy Spirit present with you, um, convicting you and, and causing you to fight against those lusts. So even in the midst of that, the Lord is on your thoughts. And, and from the moment you open your eyes in the morning, you know, your first thoughts are on Jesus and, and all throughout the day, no matter what you're doing, if you're driving, you're thinking about the Lord. If you're at work, you're thinking about the Lord, um, even when your mind is distracted with the with the daily activities, um, the Lord is still present with you. Uh, that that's the beautiful thing of being born again is that He never leaves you. He is always, always present with you. Even when you've displeased Him and you feel a separation from Him, or you feel like His face is turned against you, um, He's still there. You know, you're, you're, He dwells in you, and and He's ever present with you. And so your thoughts are constantly directed towards him. And so what I wanted to do here, and, and the hope was to offer encouragement to, to new believers or 
or people who are, you know, walking out this faith by themselves or, or uh, you know, just for the majority on their own and, and to give them some insight into what other Christians are doing throughout their day, how other Christians are focused on the Lord. And so I wanted to um, journal kind of, you know, get a, get a catalog um, of my day-to-day thoughts, the, the day-to-day pressing issues, the things that were on my heart throughout the week. And just to share that so you can get a glimpse of what a just an average Christian, an uneducated um, Christian man who loves the Lord, who was born again, where, where his thoughts are throughout the week. And um, I really wanted to emphasize that this is not um, a theological thing. This isn't a doctrine thing. Um, I, I've never attended seminary. I, I don't have any formal education in, in my background. It's It's just a you know, my walk has just been me and the Lord, you know, for the most part. And then, you know, the fellowship that the Lord has given me, but, um, just been in love with the Lord now going on 20 years and, am walking out this faith. And unfortunately after 20 years in the faith, I'm still a very immature Christian. My growth has been slow, but, you know, I just want to encourage people and, and show them what it's like. What you know, because we have a lot of pastors and we have a lot of theologians and we have a lot of experts that that talk to us and communicate to us. But often we we tend to put these people on a pedestal and we think that they're living a, a much higher life than we are. They're living a, a much holier life, and often the things they talk about might even seem unattainable to us, or or they're living on a different level. Um, so I, I just wanted to share the experiences of a normal, everyday Christian. And so that's kind of the goal of this going forward, um, just to share some of the, the key issues that, that have been on my mind throughout the week and discuss them and go, you know, and, and touch on those and share where my thoughts were going on these different issues. Um, so we'll we'll see how this turns out. Like I mentioned, it's going to be difficult um, talking to myself, but... But I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot here. Um, I guess I want to start out. One of the key things that has been on my mind, and and in full transparency, the main issue that is on my heart, um, almost on a daily basis, if not on an everyday basis, is my struggle with sin, my struggle with the sinful nature. Um, I seem to lack self-control, the temperance, the fruit of the Spirit, and and. I struggle with sin mightily. You know, there there's lusts in my heart that wage war against me and seem to ensnare me and take me captive. And so most of my daily walk is is focused on battling these sins, like wanting to be separated from these sins that seem to have a hold in my heart. And 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 you know, this I think the scriptures say it's the sin that so easily besets us. It weighs us down in our race. And, and I am living proof of that, unfortunately. Because after 20 years, I ought to be running a lot faster. I ought to be further down the track than where I am. And it's my sin that ensnares me and slows me down. Um, sometimes almost to a walking pace. Or even like a standing still. I'm, I'm on the track. I've been born again. I've been pulled out of the weeds and placed onto the track. Um, but sometimes I'm, I'm standing still and other times I'm, I'm walking at a very slow pace. Um, it's very rare for me personally um, to, to run at full speed, um, so to speak, to use that analogy that the scriptures give us about running the race. And, and it is the snares of sin 
that that entangle me and slow me down and so much of my spiritual life is um like a desperate pleading with god a desperate fight against my sin uh, a desperation to be separated from my sin to 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 be to lay these sins aside to to be done with them to no longer struggle with them and um the lord has given me victory in a lot of things um i i came out of a drug background a drug and alcohol background um, um a vicious angry heart um that was full of vileness and 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 um anger and aggression and abuse towards others and for the most part the lord has delivered me from that the lord uh delivered me from my drug use almost immediately into my salvation within a couple of years of my salvation um the alcohol use was put to death uh my language was cleaned almost immediately it would just grieve me to use a cuss word um you know uh, in my heart sometimes i still cuss in my heart but for those words to come forth from my lips is very rare um you know i can count on one hand the times i've actually used a cuss word um since being saved and it's often like so foreign foreign it just like it slipped out and you're like whoa where did that come from you know that's that's not who i am anymore um and 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 a filthy language is is a is a symptom of an angry heart a, a bitter frustrated heart and so when you when you use filthy language it reveals this anger and bitterness in your heart and 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 that's been cleansed like when you're saved when you're born again the lord replaces that with a love with a gratefulness with a thankfulness to have been delivered from hell and your language reflects that and so so cleaning up my language was one of the first things the lord did in my salvation and then he got rid of the drug use he got rid of the alcohol um and and now you know 20 years into my walk um the predominant like most visible sins in my life are lust um like i mentioned i'm not married but i still have that desire to be with somebody and so often that like I struggle with that in my heart. I, str you know, I'm, uh, I struggle with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the mind, and then pride. You know, I'm, I'm often a very uh, egotistical, prideful, arrogant man, and um, that's hidden behind this insecure bravado, where like I, I mask it with this masculinity, with this uh, alpha male syndrome, where you know I, I I try to act big and tough, and and really that's just pride. And so those are the main areas where, you know, over the last several years I've been focused on and wrestling against. And it's it's very um, disheartening to see these things in my life and to struggle against these things and um, to seemingly not have victory over them. And, and I'm still waiting on the Lord, pleading, trying to find the avenue to victory. And so one of the ways i've been doing that um and 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 it's an it's something that's occurred to me in the past but i've really been focused on it this week is where these lusts often play out is when i'm laying in bed getting ready to to go to sleep um the imagination starts wandering the thoughts come and for a while to my shame um i've i've struggled in that i've been fantasizing about uh 
sexual relationships as I fall asleep. Like that's where my mindset is as I fall asleep. And I don't want that. And, and so I'm trying to find ways to fight against that, to, to take captive those thoughts and bring them under the obedience of Christ. And, and uh, to, there's that verse that, that really plays into this situation. And then there's that verse about uh, thinking about heavenly things, to put our minds on heavenly things. And so I've often struggled with, like, what does that look like? How, how do I captivate my imagination with heavenly thoughts? And one thing that I thought about is to look at the, the, the different scriptures that talk about the character of a holy man. And specifically what's been on my mind this week is the qualifications of an elder. And so I went through, I think it's in uh, Timothy, I can't remember if it's 1st or 2nd Timothy, and uh, the book of Titus, and then I believe also in 1st Peter, where you get a, a list of characteristics um, that somebody has to possess in order to qualify to be an elder. And um, when you write those down, there's quite a few of them, and I'll, I'll run through them here for you, but um, what I've been doing is I've been trying to focus my mind on these things as I fall asleep, to think about these different qualifications. Because I'm, I'm by no means an elder. I'm, I'm not qualified to be an elder. And unfortunately, I suspect that in many churches these qualifications aren't taken seriously, that, that, that people are appointed to eldership or to uh, some sort of um, authority role or headship in the church um, without meeting these qualifications. Uh, I think it's something that's neglected. Um, at least I suspect that when I, when I look around at the, the current state of the church. Like, somehow, some way, we've lost sight of this, that a person, the scriptures tell us that, that a person must possess these characteristics a person must possess these qualities in order to qualify as an elder in other words you can't be an elder unless you meet these qualifications it's like a job application if you go in for a job and the applications are uh, two years experience or a bachelor's degree or um, you know a certified license if you don't have those qualifications you don't meet the standard um, to, to be appointed to that position you can't take that job. Um, and, and so it is with eldership, with headship of the church. That includes your deacons, your elders, um, and your pastor. They must meet these qualifications. And so the thought is, yes, I'm, I'm not an elder. I'm not a pastor. But why does the Lord give these qualifications? Because this is the standard of holiness. And so whether or not we're going to be an elder ever in our lives, or whether or not we're going to be a pastor or a shepherd ever in our lives, we still ought to be striving for these qualifications. These are the standards of holiness. This is what we attain to when we mark the perfect man. And it, it, that in other words, when we observe a perfect man, uh, you know, and Paul said, observe me and imitate me because I imitate Christ. So ultimately this comes back to Christ-like character. And, and you must meet these characteristics in order to qualify for the eldership. And so if it's good for the elders and the pastors, why wouldn't it be good for us? Um, the same thing applies in the Old Testament when you look at the qualifications to be a priest um, outside of the bloodline because you had to be of the Levite uh, bloodline. But there were other qualifications um, like like not given to wine or, or um, the oath of the, um, oh, what was it that, that Samson was and um, the, the Nazarites. 
um, had these qualifications that they had to meet. And you look at those and go, okay, well, I'm, I'm not a Nazarite. I'm not a priest, so those don't apply to me. Why wouldn't they apply to you? If those are the standards of holiness, then shouldn't we all attain to meet those standards, regardless of our position in the church? And, and so I look at these qualifications, and, and like I said, I wrote them down here, so I'm going to run through them. Um, and, and again, these are from Timothy, Titus, and Peter. It says that uh, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, and I, I believe lucre is money, patient, so, so not greedy uh, of being rich, not greedy of money or gain, um, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, rules his own home well, has his children in subjection with gravity, that's like um, a reverent awe, like your children ought to be um, reverently fearful of your authority and obedient. Um, not a novice, which means somebody who's new to the faith. You have to be established in the faith. Um, a good report of them without. That's the lost. The lost have nothing bad to say about you. Grave, which is serious. Not double-tongued holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience, not self-willed, not soon angry, a lover of good men. That's, uh, you know, you, you love and appreciate uh, righteous men. Sober, which, which is not only um, sober in the sense of alcohol, but sober-minded, like a, a serious, um, attentive, focused mind. Just, holy, temperate, or temperate, uh, which is self-controlled, holding fast, faithful word, um, able to exhort and convince gainsayers with sound doctrine. So that, that is uh, being able to defend the faith with sound doctrine, to be able to stand up for the faith to against those who mock and scoff against it, to be able to defend um, sound biblical teaching. Uh, they must feed the flock, and, and that, I think, is specific to a pastor elder, to, to feed the flock, which is to give them the word in a way that they can digest it, that they can take it in. Um, to take oversight of the flock, which is to watch over, to, to, to guard, to protect uh, the other members of the faith, excuse me, and uh, to be examples so those are the qualifications that one must meet in order to be an elder. And so why not strive for those things? And so what, I, what, I, what my goal is, what I hope to do, and, and what I did one or two nights this week, is to take those one by one and focus on them as I'm falling asleep. And uh, the very first qualification is an overwhelming one because it seems unattainable. It's such a high standard. It says to be blameless without blame. To, to not have anything in your life that people can accuse you of being a hypocrite about. And so, I, you know, I fail um, because of my sin. I, I fail in so many of those things, which is why I'm not qualified to be an elder. Um, I, I could do damage to the faith. I could do damage to the name of Christ 
by proclaiming myself as some sort of authority or, or headship in the church and then yet not meeting these qualifications. And like I said, I, I think we, we lack that in the church today. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of elders who don't meet those qualifications. And so people can look at that and, and, and discredit the faith because of it, can uh, blasphemy the name of Jesus because of that. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard, like, um, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. You know, they, they look to us. And yes, none of us can be perfect, but we are supposed to attain it. And, and these qualifications are necessary. So I've just been thinking about, like, what does it mean to be blameless? And, and it means to be without hypocrisy. To, to to meet the standards of holiness that we proclaim to the world, to not have um, these hidden sins in our hearts, to not have these actions in our lives that would that would uh, discredit the faith, that would that would uh, make Christ look bad in the eyes of the lost. And so as I look at that, I go, all right, I've got these major major flaws in my life that prevent me from being blameless. And like I mentioned, uh, and I'm sure there's underlying ones because as we progress in sanctification, um, every level you go up, so to speak, the Lord reveals more and more flaws that need to be worked out. And so right now in my life, the two major flaws are this lust and and pride. And, and these are things that must be worked out in my life in order for me to meet that qualification of being blameless. I have to put to death these things. I have to... I have to um, strive to have these things out of my life. They, they must be gone. And so my hope is, because like I mentioned, as I'm falling asleep is when, it, when I'm struggling the most. Um, also, you know, I've got a lot of alone time, a lot of idle time that unfortunately I fill with, with watching TV. Um, I've recently, you know, once again, tried to put forth an aggressive um, action to not watch anything overtly filthy. Um, you know, I've, I've, I clean, I got rid of Netflix cause there's really nothing good on there. Um, I, I have a prime membership cause I order a lot of things on Amazon and I like the free shipping and with the prime membership, you get free, um, prime, uh, movies and, and television shows. So I went through and cleaned up that list and I've only got Christian movies on there. And then other than that, as far as like TV shows go, I've been trying to, to monitor, um, what I watch and, 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 and make it more wholesome. So I'm watching some older shows, um, before we, you know, before television, um, became lax in its, in its regulations. And, you know, recently they've started allowing so much filth on TV, but if you go back to like the nineties, the eighties, and even before, uh, they were more strict in what they allowed. So you don't hear as much cursing. There's not nudity. And so I've started watching some older shows, and then I, I watch, you know, a few, like, I, I really like those antique shows, so I watch, like, American Pickers and Storage Wars, um, which, unfortunately, have a little bit of filthy language, but it, it's, it's nothing overtly wicked, it's more just, you know, finding, tre it's like modern-day treasure hunting, and so I kind of enjoy watching that, seeing what people find in these auctions, and, and seeing the value of these old antiques that they find and these different items that they find. Um, and, and you know, perhaps in the future the Lord will convict me and, and, and on that issue and say, you know, you need to get rid of the TV altogether. Um, stop watching that nonsense. 
Um, but right now my focus is on the lust and the pride. And in order to be blameless, I need to get rid of those. And so just trying to set my mind on these heavenly things, these different qualifications to keep that idea of being blameless in my mind as I fall asleep. And then, you know, I'll move on to that, uh, the next, you know, the, I'll progress along that list. And, uh, you know, I feel like that should keep my mind occupied, um, for a long time going forward to think about these heavenly things. And I'm hopeful, uh, that it'll help me, um, to, to keep my mind on heavenly things and to put to death, um, these deeds of the flesh, the, these imaginations of the heart that, that seem to run wild, um, especially at nighttime. Um, so that, that's kind of where my thoughts have been here, um, to start the week. I, I just been wrestling that out in my heart, fighting that flesh, trying to find ways to keep my mind on heavenly things, to keep my mind focused on Christ, um, and, and, and go from there. Um, so then I guess I'll move on here. Um, another issue that I was thinking about this week, I, I, I get the opportunity with this new job that I have, um, to listen to podcasts while I work. Um, I'm doing a lot of data entry, working on a computer. And, and so while I'm doing that, I, I can listen, um, to, to different various things. And, and, um, what I've been doing is, is I found a selection of podcasts that I enjoy. Um, and then I just listen to those throughout the day. And one of them was talking about uh, the, the COVID issue, of course, because that's dominant in society right now. And um, it's it's a Christian podcast, and uh, I believe these guys are true brothers, true born again. I disagree with them on a lot of doctrine, um, but I, I believe they have the gospel right. And, and so that's what's important. They have that fundamental uh, issue correct. As long as we're in agreement on the gospel, I think we, we can afford to be gracious and to strive for unity even if we disagree on other issues. And um, where you find it difficult is if, if you talk about these issues, a lot of time emotion comes into it and it becomes heated. And so it's important for us to strive not to be divisive. Um, if we agree on the gospel, then we're brothers and sisters. If, if, if I can trust you to proclaim a faithful and true gospel message, if you can explain to somebody clearly what it means to be saved, what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means, and um, if we're in agreement on that, then then I believe we're orthodox. We we are born again. And so on these other issues, um, and and there are varying levels of importance. Some of these issues are very important, and and some issues you you would even say um, if they're wrong on this, they're they're teaching falsely. Um, and, 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 uh, planting erroneous seeds into people's minds. And so on this podcast, they were discussing, discussing the, the COVID issue and they were talking about where this comes from. You know, is it, is it, is it, uh, Satan doing it? Um, did God do it? And then like one of, I, I don't remember if it was one or if they were all in agreement on it, that, that God wouldn't do this, that, that this isn't a, a God thing. And that is a, a very serious issue where I would have to disagree wholeheartedly because this comes down to the sovereignty of God, um, which outside of salvation, outside of the gospel, 
I would put the sovereignty of God as the most important issue. The, the, the most important secondary, if we want to call it that, um, issue. It's, it's very important for a person to understand the sovereign hand of God and everything. That, that God is God. He is in control directly over all things. Even the wicked things that come into, in, into our world. God has a sovereign hand over that. Uh, of course, Job is the best example of that, that. That while Satan brought these things to Job, it was Satan who brought the tornado and, and killed all of Job's children. It was Satan who orchestrated the boils on Job's skin. It was Satan who destroyed um, all of Job's livestock. But it was under the sovereign direction of God. And, and we learn that where we get a, a glimpse behind the veil, so to speak, that Satan had to get permission from God in order to do these things. That Satan can't do anything without God's authorization. And uh, we get a little glimpse of that as well with Jesus and Peter, where Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. Satan had to get permission, even for, for forms of uh, uh, testing our faith or, or persecution. God is sovereign behind that. And for the saint, we have the great hope that God is working all things together for our good. That everything that God allows into our life, everything that God orchestrates in our existence, is for our ultimate good. It's going to produce God-like, Christ-like character in us. And, and it's going to bring about an ultimate good end. Um, now, the lost don't have that hope. There is no guarantee for the lost that things are working together for their good. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say that things are working together for their bad. Things are bringing them towards uh, wrath and destruction. But I'm um, coming up on a break here, and so we will continue that thought on the other side. Welcome back to the weekly walk. Um, we left off talking about the sovereignty of God over diseases. And, um, you know, I was talking about Job and, 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 and Peter and how Satan had to get permission from God in order to do these things. And so it's important for the saint to, to understand the sovereignty of God and things because it gives you a great hope. If, if God is not sovereign, over the tragedies of life, if God is not sovereign over the wicked things that come into our life, then what hope do we have? Um, the fact that God is orchestrating all things gives us a great hope because we know God's character. God's character is one of love and, and gentleness and, and fatherliness towards us, towards the saints. And so if we know that he is sovereign over all things, then I can know that there is a good and holy and loving and kind fatherly purpose behind everything that occurs to me. Whether that's my tire going flat on the highway, or a loss of, of a job, or the death of a loved one. Um, knowing that God is sovereignly orchestrating these things um, causes me to trust in these things. It causes me to say, okay, this is very difficult. This is terrible. This is a a wickedness in my life. This is a horrible, tragic thing. But I know that God has designed this for my good. That there is hope in this. That there is there is a purpose in this. 
There is a wise, holy, good, and loving purpose behind this, regardless of how tragic and how painful and how hurtful it is in, in my experiences. I know that God is sovereign over it. And, and so Job was able to have that same mindset. When all these things occurred to Job, Job never accused Satan. And, and he, he didn't say Satan has done these things to me. He says the Lord hath done these things to me. And he was able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood that God is sovereign and holy and good and loving. So while these things occurring to me are very painful, very tragic, I know that God has a holy purpose behind it. Um, whether or not we can understand what that is, or whether we'll ever understand what it is this side of heaven, is irrelevant. I know God is sovereign over it. And so it is with this COVID thing. To, to, to think that somehow Satan has some sort of sovereignty, that Satan is able to do things outside of God's control, um, opens you up to a world of chaos. Then, 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 then tragic things can happen to you without purpose, without meaning. That it's just meant for your destruction. It's just meant um, to cause you harm. There, there's no hope in that. There's no, there's no um, idea uh, of sovereign design behind it where you can have hope in it. There's just a woe is me, like, oh no, you know, uh, this attitude of desperation. And, and so with, with the COVID thing, to think that, that somehow Satan was able to do this without God's authorization, then, then you're left to a, a, a mindset of desperate chaos to say, you know, woe is me, look what has happened, how shall we get out of this? That's just the wrong heart to have. That, that's not a heart of faith. That's not a heart of hope. That's going to that's gonna produce a heart of of despondency whereas if you understand that even this god is sovereign over even this is designed for a purpose even this hardship has a good holy fatherly loving kind purpose behind it there is wisdom in this the lord knows what he is doing this there is a good outcome to this um when when you understand that it just it changes your whole perspective and that's why understanding the sovereignty of God is so vital because, because you're able to cling to hope then. You're able to cling to the, to the wise, loving character of God and say that, that God has this. God has designed this. So even if the whole world crumbles down around you, um, you can trust in God like Job. You can say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even though he has taken away blessed be his name there he has a holy and wise purpose because he is holy he is wise he is loving god does no evil so everything that occurs has a wise loving holy purpose behind it um, regardless of how we experience it regardless of how we see things on this linear plane regardless of how we see things from this this human perspective there is an eternal perspective. There is a God perspective. There is an oversight perspective in which he is orchestrating all events for our good. Um, if you're born again, those who don't love God and are not called according to his purposes don't have that hope. There is no hope. The tragedies that occur in, in their lives um, are not leading towards good. 
Um, and, and that's God's wise and holy purposes in that, too. It's not for us to look into those things. Uh, you know, because we don't know. It, a person who is wicked today can be saved tomorrow. Um, a person who, who is walking in, in sin and um, mockery and scoffing at God today, as we once were, um, can be changed in a moment and can be brought into the kingdom of light. And, and, and so a saint is a saint even before they are. You know, even when they, I guess a better way to say that is a saint is a saint even when they ain't. Like, the, God knows who are his. He has sheep of another fold that have not yet been called into the kingdom, but they still belong to him. They just haven't been brought into the kingdom yet. They're still lost sheep. Um, that need that that and then God sends us forth to proclaim the gospel, and in His timing, He will call them into the kingdom. And so, even the events that are occurring in their lives right now um, are working towards their good. And we can look back at our pre-salvation lives, and we can see that every single event that occurred to us was leading us to Christ, was leading us to the moment of salvation. They were things that had to occur um, to to. To create character in us, to bring circumstances to pass, um, to bring us into a position um, where in God's timing, in that moment, he was going to bring us into the kingdom. And so we have that hope with all. We, we don't know who's called and who's not. We have to assume and hope that everybody is. And so we proclaim the gospel to everybody, uh, knowing that in God's timing, he can call them into the kingdom and he will call his. He will not lose any of his. And so, to, with this idea of COVID, to, to, to suggest that God is not sovereign over it just creates a heart of confusion, a heart of despondency, a heart of desperation, um, which is not fitting for a saint. A saint is supposed to trust in God in all things. And, and, the, and, and to solidify that trust, you must believe that his hand is in all things, that he is over everything. Every molecule moves uh, at his discretion. He moves it in the, in the design and the pattern that he wants. Every gust of wind, every flicker of light, every drop of rain, every, every speck of stardust is designed according to God's holy, wise, and righteous purposes. It, everything is moving according to his plan. There is no chaos in God's universe. There is no circum, circumstances. There are, no, there are no issues in all of life that are moving about without his sovereign direction. He is the king of the universe. The very title God suggests his sovereignty over all things. And so to neglect and to reject his sovereignty is to put yourself in a position of desperation and, and faithlessness. It is to cause you a, a desperate heart of of tribulation where, where you're unsure it's it's to put yourself in that boat with the apostles where the storm is there and, and the water's coming in and they're thinking they're gonna die and jesus says oh ye of little faith you know god is sovereign over the storms he is sovereign over the waves you will not perish unless god has designed you to perish at that moment and if he has um it is for your good and for his glory um, you you will not perish before your time. Jesus knew this. Often when it, when he would preach and the crowds would get angry and would want his death, um, they were unable to do so because it was not time. There was even a moment where they were leading him up the hill to throw him off the cliff. And, it, and, and the scriptures say he just walked away. Think about that. You have an angry mob 
desiring his death, surrounding him, bringing him up the hill to kill him. And somehow he just walks away because it was not his time. And so it is with us. If you have a gun to your head and, and, and somebody pulls the trigger, if it is not your time to die, that bullet will not fire. You will not die. Um, God has designed all things. He is sovereign over everything from, from cancer to, 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 to death of loved ones to, to even the most wicked things like Job experienced. God has a sovereign, holy, loving, righteous design over those things and we must trust him in them. All right, so let me move along here to, to the third topic that I have, the third issue that was on my mind this week. And um, it's something that, that, that is kind of exciting. It's something that I, I've thought about often in the past, and I really haven't sat and put, put it all together, um, formulated a, a theology on this, so to speak. I've just kind of noticed it in my life, and, and, and it's been building. And um, something real simple, something real small. But what it has to do with is accepting gifts. Um, I notice in myself, and I would assume this is true in others, uh, that, that when somebody gives you a gift, there's a tendency um, to reject it. There's, there's almost, it's like if somebody comes up to you and gives you money, it says, here, take this $20. Your natural instinct is to say, oh, no, I, I couldn't accept that. It's like this, this, this false humility that is really just pride. Excuse me. But we view it as some sort of noble thing, like like um, to say, you know, oh, I couldn't take that. You know, we view that as some sort of nobility. And I've done that. I, I've turned down gifts from people, and I've noticed every single time I do it, there's a look of disappointment on that person's body language. You're almost stealing a blessing from them. They have uh, designed in their heart, they have decided in their heart, to, to bless you, to do a kindness to you, and to reject that is an insult to them. It, it's, it's harmful to them, and I've seen it. Um, to give you an example, um, there have been a few times where the Lord has um, allowed me to preach a message. Um, one time I was at a homeless shelter, and I got to, to stand up and preach a word, and uh, preach a sermon. And afterwards, a man came up to me and, and, and offered me a $20 bill. He said, I want to give you this. I can't remember exact word, his exact words, but um, he said, you know, let me give you this $20. And I said, and I rejected it out of that false humility. Oh, no, I couldn't take that, you know. And, and, and he was insulted. And, and, and I think he even pointed out, it out to me. I don't remember exactly how it occurred, but I walked away from that grieved. I was like, why did I not take that? You know, I'm stealing this man's joy. And so I've thought about this often since then, and I was just thinking about it again this week, that if somebody offers you a gift, the, the real thing, the, the polite, um, righteous thing to do is to humbly accept it. Say, oh, thank you so much. You know, I, I appreciate you. Because that in turn blesses them. Their gift has been received. Um, you, 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 you've, you've, you've brought joy into their life. They've decided to do this thing for you and to receive it is a, is a, is a, is a compliment to them. And so we, we as Christians, we need to find a way and to, to reject that, that false humility that says, no, I couldn't possibly take that and to receive gifts in, in true humility, 
to receive it as a blessing to them. You know, oh, thank you so much for this. Uh, you know, I appreciate you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. To and to do that immediately, because the moment you say no, um, you've insulted them. You you you've stolen from their joy. And and one thing that I was thinking about biblically, biblically with this that I've thought about before is like the scriptures tell us that when we get to heaven, the Lord is going to give us crowns. He's he's going to give us gifts. He's going to give us a crown. And in the past, I've often thought. How could I possibly accept something from my Lord? Every good thing that has occurred to me, He did. Every good thing I've ever done was His Spirit working through me. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. How could I receive this gift from Him? How could I take this gift? He's saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm saying, Lord, I didn't do anything. You did this. And, and, and this thought about accepting gifts applies to that. True humility receives that and says, Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. I didn't do anything to receive this, but thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. And we ought to have that heart to others when they offer gifts to us. And so I would just encourage you um, to put this into play, to, to reject that false humility that, that denies a gift and, and, and receive it with gratefulness and with joy because in doing so, you're, you're adding to that person's joy. You're, you're blessing them in the giving of the gift. You're giving them uh, a satisfaction. You're giving them a gift um, in receiving their gift. And, and so it's just a unique thing and, and um, something I think we have to focus on. Because like I say, that natural inclination of the flesh is to reject it out of that false humility. So we have to be aware of that and we have to, to, to receive gifts with, with true humility and gratefulness and thankfulness. All right, and so I guess um, the fourth and, and last thing I want to talk about here today um, is regarding prayer. And um, my prayer life is, is really a struggle. Um, and the reason it is, is my mind is so often distracted. And I, I think it probably has something to do with the amount of entertainment we take in. Um, it seems like our thoughts are always racing in a hundred different directions. And so when you try to get silent before the Lord, when you try to go to the Lord in prayer, um, often I find my mind distracted. Um, I'll, I'll bring my petitions to the Lord and then uh, my mind starts wandering. I start thinking about day-to-day uh, -day activities or to my shame, I start thinking about some, some sinful things. And so just... I've been thinking about that and like the, the the shame that's involved in that. So I had to pause the recording there, so I'm, I'm not really sure where I left off. I do apologize, but I know we were discussing prayer life here and um, the, the distractions that come into my mind when I'm trying to pray. And uh, often it, it's frustrating because I'll, I'll give up on prayer. You know, I'll pray for a few minutes and then the mind wanders and I get frustrated and I just end the prayer um you know so one thing uh, a pastor had pointed out in a sermon i was listening to uh he mentioned how often our prayers are so self-focused we come in prayer and we're, we're talking about lord you know i really need this or i need help with this or or lord uh i'm struggling with this and and it's really just self-focused prayer and i think that shows an unhealthy 
um, prayer, uh, not just an unhealthy prayer life, but an unhealthy spiritual life. Um, because we're supposed to be outward focused. We're supposed to be focused on others. And so I, I believe a majority of our prayers, and he was specifically talking about salvation of souls, how, how we ought to be focused on the lost people we know praying for their salvation. Um, but in addition to that, we have scriptures that tell us we're supposed to bear the burdens of others and to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when you and 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 to help carry the burdens of others, and so I think a lot of our prayer life is lacking, or at least for me, uh, because we're not outwardly focused. You know, if if I'm going into prayer and ninety percent of my prayers are about me, um, something is wrong there. You know, I, I ought to be praying for my loved ones. Um, if they're lost, I should be praying for their salvation. If they're saved. I ought to be rejoicing in their blessings and, and, and weeping with their weepings, you know, praying for their needs, praying for the burdens that are upon them, praying for the struggles that they've shared with me. And um, another aspect of that, um, just to kind of, to because I guess that's the end of that thought, but to, but to also add to that, um, I was just talking with a brother last night about how um, some of the best, best prayers that I've ever had are when I just go into prayer without an agenda, without a list, and I just ask the Lord to direct my prayers. And 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 part of that, a major part of that, is going in silence. And the way I thought of it was, um, when we pray in the Spirit, we are in actuality going into the throne room of God. We are bringing our spirits before the King of the universe, and we're going in front of Him, um, to make petitions. And I thought, imagine if you were called into an earthly king's presence. Um, if the, 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 the president or, or the, the queen of England were to call you into their presence. You don't just walk in and start blabbering. You don't just go in there and start talking. You wait for permission to speak. You go before them and, 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 and wait upon them to say, go ahead and speak your mind. And so one thing I used to do that uh, sadly I've, I've forgotten is to, to go into the throne room of God in silence, to go before him, to, to just set my heart on his presence, to just think about being in the presence of the king and to wait for him um, to authorize me to speak, to wait for him to say, go ahead, son, speak your mind, and then bringing those petitions to him. And the other part of that is to wait in silence and say, Lord, how would you have me pray? What would you like me to be, be praying for? Because otherwise, we, we can be making prayers that might not even be within his will. Uh, we could be praying for healing, and, and his will is that we endure, that he has a good and holy purpose behind whatever ailment we have. And so if we'll go in silence and ask the Lord, Lord, direct my prayers, how would you have me pray, Lord? And then wait in silence until he directs your thoughts in a certain direction to wait in silence excuse me until he prompts your heart in into a certain prayer and the best prayers i've ever had in my life have been those types of prayers because in those you have a satisfaction of knowing that you are praying the will of god that that what you are praying is something he desires you to pray for and so you know that it is an it will be accomplished that there, that there is purpose behind that, that he is bringing you in line with his will. And, and I think the scriptures even talk about that when, when it talks about we ask amiss, 
and it also talks about uh, if we pray in the will of God, um, it, we know that our prayers are answered. That's a horrible paraphrase, but I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, but if we'll go to him in silence and, and just wait upon the Lord, um, much of our prayer life should be waiting upon the Lord, waiting for him to direct our mind, to direct our thoughts into a direction that he wants us to pray for. And in those times when I've prayed like that, he's often brought me into a prayer direction that I wasn't expecting, had me praying for people in certain ways that I wouldn't have thought of praying that way. And, and, and it's brought so much satisfaction and joy and refreshing, um, uh, just, just refresh, refreshment to my soul, um, to pray like that. And, and so I, like I mentioned, I struggle with prayer. So I'm speaking to myself here as well, but I also want you to encourage you, um, to make your prayers like this, to not just go to him with our, with our own desires, with our own needs, with our own wants, but to go to him uh, with others in our mind and to, to, to go to him in silence and reverent awe to approach the throne room of God with that reverence and to ask him to direct our thoughts, to direct our minds, to ask him what we ought to be praying for. And I think our prayers are going to be so much more satisfying, so much more uh, just just affirming and, and, and beautiful. And, and you walk away from those prayers knowing that you were in the presence of God praying his will. And it's a very refreshing thing. All right, so I think I'm going to end there. Um, I think we did all right. I, I don't know if I'll be able to continue doing these by myself. Um, if, I, if I can come up with a, a reasonable... Uh, you know, you don't want to put out a podcast that's 15 minutes, I guess. I, I, I try to fill almost an hour. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where the Lord goes with this. But um, I guess that's what I got for you guys today. And um, I love you. And Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time. Stay classy, San Diego.